Mike Rayley and Tony Rigsby here with another in our series with WPTF Legends for the WPTF's 100th anniversary. Our guest today is a, a true media icon and one of the legendary broadcast executives in the state, Carl Venters. Mr. Venters, welcome back to WPTF. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mike. It's an honor, really, to talk to you again and uh, to have worked for you. I think uh, Tony and I both feel that way. Yeah, we were very honored that uh, you approved us being hired many, many years ago. <laughs> well, I remember that, and uh, I remember all you guys. I mean, you, you, you just did it, and you made me look good, actually. But we had a great deal going on, and... Uh, I was really proud to be there with you guys. Yeah, you you were born in Rocky Mount, and uh, but you, I, I guess you were just born there, and you you didn't live there very long. No, no, my my parents lived in Long Island, New York. My father was from Onslow County here. He was an attorney, but he was working in New York City, and my mother was from Rocky Mount. So when I was to be born, she made sure she came south to Rocky Mount. So I'd be born a Southerner, but uh, went right back up to Long Island, and I stayed up there for eight until uh, I was ten years old, actually. And then my father moved back down to Jacksonville, you know, here in Onslow County, near Onslow County, in Onslow County, and opened his law firm and uh, continued there. So I went to school, high school in Jacksonville, uh, North Carolina. Now, how did you get started in radio? Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Well, while we're in well, Long Island, my father was a good friend of uh, a CBS radio announcer, John Allen Wolf. And there was a kid's show on Saturdays called Let's Pretend. It's every Saturday morning, live, of course it was, on CBS radio network. And John Allen take me to the show. And I would watch the show from the audience, and I said to myself, as John Allen did the announcing, I said, I want to do that. So from the time I was about 10 years old, I decided I wanted to be a radio announcer, is the way I said it then. Then we moved to Jacksonville after that, lost track of uh, John Allen Wolf. He retired. And in Jacksonville, they had just built a new... 500-watt radio station um, when all these local stations were being built, and that was in, uh, I guess, probably that station was built in, I'm trying to think of the year, but anyway, it was one of the first of the stations. So uh, I decided that I would like to go to work there. Now, it was 1946. And the station was just going on the air, and I would pay attention to it and go out there and hang around. And because I had developed a pretty good northern accent from being <laughs> in Long Island, um, didn't have to worry about uh, southern accent. But I had to, so I combined my northern accent with a southern accent, so I could be a radio announcer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, that's probably good. I, yeah, it worked out good. Uh, in my junior year in high school, I got the owner of the WJNC radio station to 
to let me go to work. In those days, it was network radio. It was mutual broadcasting system. Had baseball games on and various programs. And I would run the board and do the announcing and do the station breaks. That's the way radio was back in the uh, uh, late 40s. And I worked there. So one day, the games were not on being broadcast, and I decided to go play some records. Now, records in those days were 78s, <laughs> and I chose a bunch, and I put them on the air, and I started playing records and announcing that the name of the record, and the manager got real mad at me, but for me, it was our first disc jockey show, <laughs> and, uh, you know, things progressed from there. I then graduated and went to UNC Chapel Hill and majored in, to major in radio, TV, and motion pictures. Yeah, I want to hear all uh, about that because you work with some greats like Charles Carrald and Carl Castle and Woody Durham. Oh, absolutely. Well, here's, I can tell you those stories. Please do. Um, uh, when I was a freshman, I went to Swain Hall where the radio studios were. Now remember, and those even then that was nineteen fifty one. There was no tape, and no audio tape. There was uh you could uh, record on some discs. But I decided I would try out to be an announcer at a show. And I sat out waiting to be called to audition. And I sat next to a fellow and I said, Hi my name is Carl Venters. I'm from Jacksonville, North Carolina. And the fellow sitting next to me said, Hi, I'm Charles Corral from Charles, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> so I got up and left because I knew I'd never get <laughs> to the park. And Charles and I became real good friends. I later became the station manager for WUNC FM, which was the University of North Carolina's. Uh, at that time, they called it the student radio station. We played classical music and did all kinds of remotes and so forth, which you could do in those days. And Charles uh, became the editor of the Daily Tar Heel newspaper at the University of North Carolina. So I was the manager of the radio station. He was the editor of the newspaper. So we kind of laughed at each other that we controlled the media at UNC. And uh, then we all went on our different ways. Now, the Korean War was just winding down, and we were not wanting to be drafted. So at the end, when I graduated, I enlisted in the Marine Corps, became a Marine officer, so that I wouldn't be drafted. I didn't want to go to that side of it. So... I got trained as a communication officer in the Marines for four years and um, worked with a radio station down in Miami, Florida, of all things. Wow. While I was in the Marines. And uh, it goes on and on like that. I always managed to stay in some kind of broadcasting. And then uh, after I got out of the Marines... I was offered the job to be program director of the new 
Channel 4, WUNC-TV, because I had worked there part-time during my student days, and television was just beginning to bloom. Now, I was not really qualified to be the program director, but we did it anyway. We had a good staff, and everything was live. So I did live directing of uh, North Carolina education programs and ended up uh, working with uh, Wade Hargrove, who was uh, younger than me. And Wade Hargrove became, you know, one of the top communication attorneys in this country. Yes. But he was my cameraman on a couple of shows. (laughs) And then Woody Durham also was a student, and he was also a cameraman. So Woody and I and uh, decided to get together because we thought sports was so important, and there's no news on Channel 4 TV. So we, I put in a newscast, just like the commercial stations, and I ended up doing the weather. Wow. Woody Durham was my sports director. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Charles Carroll came on as guests and so forth. And that was back in 19, uh, well, 57, well, I'd say 59. And uh, that was really worked really, really well. We had a good time doing that. Now, in the meantime, a man named C.D. Chesley came in and said, you know, there's no, because basketball is really important these days across the country, and nobody's televising it. So he decided he wanted to televise uh, ACC basketball games. He came to North Carolina. Now, we had the only remote TV bus in the state at that time. Amazing. It was given to us by somebody I forget. But we had the cameras. We had everything. So he could rent the bus from us to go to do a, a basketball game. And we would provide him with staff, my my TV station staff, including myself. We would go out and work the games. And that's how um, ACC televisions began. Or let's put it another way, television of live television of basketball. And uh, that really worked out good, except later on, uh, uh, the radio stations were kind of upset because the ball games were being televised. So we ended up making a deal with the FCC uh, and allowed the television radio stations to be heard with the television broadcast. And they called it Broadvision. The radio station people really liked it because they could be heard as the commentators, and C.D. Chesley's television network was doing live television. Um, that's how all that started. Now, if I, if, should I go on? Sure, absolutely. This okay. is fascinating. You actually live the history that we read about that's and hear about. Right. And the broadcast that became so iconic for yeah. those of us of a certain age on yeah, Saturday afternoons definitely. for decades. Yes, please do continue. Well... Uh, and C.D. Chesley became very famous. And I and my staff, we, we traveled all over, from Clemson to 
to uh, Maryland to whatever doing Saturday afternoon television games. And I was an assistant director of those games. Um, and I stood behind uh, some really famous sports commentators who did the play-by-play. So that was great. Well, then Woody and I started talking about the fact that there was no live television of any of the ACC football teams or the Carolina football uh, team. And so that was kind of interesting. But that was too difficult. And C.D. Chesley didn't have any interest in the football. So we came up with an idea. And uh, Woody and I would go to the Carolina football games, and he would practice doing play-by-play and read uh, the script a little bit and became very, very good at it. Uh, he was just graduating from, from, from college, from university. So what we did is we decided to broadcast the Carolina football games by taking the game films, the 16-millimeter game films that the athletic department supplied us, and the rundown sheet of the play-by-play. And on Sunday nights, I put a monitor in the studio and sat Woody down in front of the monitor. He had the play-by-play sheets in front of him. I would go in and we'd turn the uh, films on and run some crowd noise behind him. And Woody would do play-by-play, reading it from the play script. So that was how uh, North Carolina football was seen, not live, but it was seen on TV on Sunday nights. And I didn't realize that you had such a strong TV background there before because I knew your radio background was immense long before you came to WPTF in uh, in 1972. Well, you're right about that, and I didn't know that either. But TV see, came to life in about... Uh, 1954, WNC-TV came on the air, and you know, a lot of us just got really interested in it, and still, you know, radio was the thing. Still loved radio, but wanted to learn TV, and I just had to end up getting that job offer to come back to UNC-TV, because I really want to go, was to go right into radio. But as I go further, I'll tell you this, that after being at WNC-TV for several years, and we did a lot of these unusual things I was really proud of. Um, and then we watched uh, television begin to, uh, you know, broadcast sports. I decided then I really would like to get back into radio. <laughs> <laughs> so you bought a radio station. Yeah. So a friend who worked with me at the TV station, Floyd Wade, he and I searched around North Carolina for a radio station to buy. Didn't know exactly which one or how or what. But we found one in Farmville, North Carolina. And we bought the, the radio station in Farmville. Uh, I believe it was $7,000 down. And the <laughs> owner financed the rest. <laughs> Good deal. And, and Farmville was 15 miles from Greenville. Yeah in Pitt County, in a very wealthy town, because of tobacco. Yes. 
spelled the motto of the town was watching the Farmville area grow. So we've named the station WFAG, which created a problem for us years later. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhat. Watching the Farmville area grow. Anyway, move along. (laughs) I've operated that radio station. um, And then in the meantime, we bought a radio station at Fuquay Verena, and my partner moved up there to manage that. And then I built a radio station in Newburn, um, and, and put uh, popular music on the FM station, because the FMs were running just classical music and not selling any advertising. So we put popular music on it, and it became successful. So how did you... Um, yes, go ahead. That was 1970. Wow. And then I got a call from Wade Hargrove in Raleigh, who was practicing law and uh, working with Durham Life Insurance Company. And he said, Carl, Dick Mason, who has been managing Durham Life Broadcasting WPTF for years and years, is retiring. And they're looking for a new general manager. And I have suggested that you could do it, which I was thrilled. Wow. So I got a call from Buddy Upchurch, chairman of the Durham Life Broadcasting at the time, and met with them, and they offered me the job of president of Durham Life Broadcasting, which was just, again, uh, just thrilling. Big time. That, that way. And that really was a, a real time of change uh, for WPTF because not only did Dick Mason retire in 1972, but Graham Pointer, who had been the program director for decades, also retired around the same time. Right. Yes. And Bill Jackson was getting ready to retire, uh, you know, to be, to be gone. Um, all those original uh, great people that was on WPTF all this time. So in June of 1972, I came in and took over as uh, president of Durham Life Broadcasting and general manager. And we had WPTF, of course, AM, and WPTF FM. In the meantime, you know, most all the AM radio stations in larger markets were assigned an FM frequency. But nobody knew what to do with it. So... Basically, everybody just sort of played. Oh, and by the way, audio tape had been developed. Yeah. So we yeah. played uh, background music, basically classical music, but no, no advertising. Nothing was going on uh, with the FM stations. Now, somebody will say, well, the uh, FCC approved FM, you know, years before that. But the big networks, CBS, NBC, and ABC, own these big, big AM radio stations across the country. And they were afraid of FM, so they made sure that it really not didn't go anywhere until later on. So I went to WPTF in 1972, and Dick Mason retired, and I took over. Wow. Big job, and and you had some real top flight 
broadcasters there like Wally Osley and Bill Jackson and Bart Rittner and Gary Dornberg and Johnny Hood, Hap Hansen. Now Bob Farrington Bob was still Farrington, there at that yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. When I came in, uh, Bill Jackson was the program director and doing morning shows and he passed away. Um, so uh, at the time, Wally Osley was doing a farm show at noontime, and uh, I decided to put him in on in the mornings and make him the basically my assistant manager. Um, Sonia Stevens, the corporate secretary, my secretary, had been there for years, so she knew all the people. And of course, as you just said, we had the retirements of. Uh, some really great people uh, at the time. And I appointed Charlie Stegall as program director. And uh, Gary, well, I said Wally Osley as basically station manager. Gary Dornberg came in too. And Johnny Hood uh, was hired. I hired him to be the farm, to the farm area hour that uh, Wally Ozzie had been doing. And uh, also brought in Asa Spalding um, to be assistant financial advisor. Bob Farrington was the news director. And you all remember Bob Farrington? Absolutely. Very, very well. One of my heroes, as a matter of fact. Yes. Yeah. Well, Bob and I, uh, when I got there, the news department, in my opinion, was not doing as much as the station should be presenting. We were doing, of course, Associated Press, Wire News, and some local news, and Bob was doing it. But sometimes, like when a gubernatorial election came up, we had Bob was just doing it by himself. And we needed a, a, basically a staff. Now, the staff turned out to be me and one other person. So we could really, really <laughs> broadcast all the election results. Right. For as important, you know, a position as the governor of North Carolina and other state jobs, Bob uh, wanted to do it by himself. So he, so he, that's why he left. And then we built our news department with you guys. Became real, real important. Absolutely. Another person who was here when you arrived and uh, really became a star while you were here was Bart Rittner. Well, that's the other part. So Bart came in, and uh, and another thing was happening was call in talk radio because it could be done. And uh, we started out doing a, a show that Bart Rittner. Uh, was doing in the, in the mornings too. I think it was Bart. Yeah, ask had, your neighbor. Uh, yeah, eleven to twelve in the morning, where people would call in, and they would give a, a advice and so forth. So we decided we'd put a show on at night, and Bart Rittner would be the host. Now the only problem was with talk radio in those days was the FCC's regulation that you had to balance every every controversial subject. So if Bart Rittner was to say, I don't think we have a good 
city councilman in so-and-so's name, we would have to get that city councilman a chance to come on the air and balance it. That's why talk radio didn't really go very far, but it still was good. And to, to, to do a jump ahead, when the FCC finally got rid of that rule, that's when people like Rush Limbaugh and all the talk radio popped up, became so popular. I must tell you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Vetters, that uh, you filled in for BART occasionally, and I was a board operator, and I was yeah. so nervous. I was so nervous that the president of the company was in there, and I wanted everything to go right. But you were really good. Well, I remember. I remember. I just wanted to be an announcer. <laughs> <laughs> and you were a good one, too. Well, you did a great job yeah. with that talk show when you filled in. And, Mr. Benders, when you got here, you, you alluded to it earlier, uh, WPTF-FM uh, was on the air, but you greatly expanded Durham Light Broadcasting on two fronts. One uh, was you changed the format for WPTF-FM and WQDR was born, and you also later bought uh, WRDU-TV and WPTF-TV was born. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happened was... Uh, get, uh, let me finish one thing about the talk show. Sure. Uh, about the FCC's regulations were such that, uh, of course, you couldn't ever even hear a word like damn or anything like that, naturally. And you had to treat everybody balanced. In those days, if you remember, we had a seven-minute delay on those talk shows. Do you remember that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, we had that those big old audio tape reels rolling. <laughs> and if you heard somebody say the wrong thing, I think I'd wave to you, Tommy, say, stop. And uh, we'd have to rewind and start again after seven, because we had a seven-minute delay. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. Amazing. But anyway, get back to uh, W. Uh, uh, QDR. PDF FM. Yeah. It was called. And we had... The Grand Ole Opera on there, and we had good stuff, but people just weren't responding. And it was, had no revenues. And as the president of the company, my job was to make money for Durham Life Broadcasting. So we started thinking, what can we do with that film station? It's 100,000 watts. And um, uh, we, can, we need a taller antenna but uh, or tower. So I was aware of, around the colleges, this different kind of music was being played. The Rolling Stones, who, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, those kind of sure. uh, bands. And the college kids were all listening to it. And, of course, we have NC State, UNC, Duke, Meredith, St. Mary's, all that. And somebody said, but the trouble is, we never know what's going to be playing. So my two sons, Chip Venters and Lee Venters, both said, Dad, they were teenagers, why don't you play that kind of music? Everybody wants to hear it. <laughs> Everybody meant, of course, younger people. Right. So I found out from another friend, Dan Henderson, about a young fellow who was really specializing in what they call well, the album-oriented rock format. And I went to Detroit, Michigan. He was working for ABC. He was only 19 years old, but he already had formed a format, but ABC wouldn't let him put it on the air. 
So I went to uh, uh, Michigan and talked him into coming down and formatting uh, WTTF-FM. So he came down, went back, and went back again to get him, finally convinced him to come. In the meantime, he had done all this research. At 19 years old, he was in Florida for a year or so before that, and hitchhiked all over Florida simply to hear what people were playing on their radios. Wow. To find out what type of music was going on. And did this great research, and he still is a great researcher, by the way, Lee Abrams. Yes. And he programmed uh, a, lot of, a lot of great stations. I'll get into that later. So Lee came down, and we talked about what we would do on WPTF-FM. And we need to change the call letters. Well, in those days, stereo was was pretty big. But quadraphonic radio was coming into play. Four speakers. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. Well, let's get ahead of the game. So we changed the call letters to WQDR because of the quadraphonic radio. And we had four speakers in the control room, you may remember. Yes, sir. But, but it didn't catch on, you know remember that too people some people had it but wasn't a big thing so but we, but but lee had done some research and found out that the most memorable call letter or a letter in the alphabet is q huh. so we decided to keep it wqdr and we call it qdr and he formatted that station uh with, i mean he really put that together in a way that was almost a science, as you might remember. Yes, sir. We moved commercials around and so forth. And it, it was an instant hit, um, especially with that younger audience. And then we had people like Frank Lasseter, because uh, Dave Berry was the manager. Right. Gail Ranser was, worked there. She was the news director. We won a Peabody Award. Yes, sir. Um and so it became a great radio station, but it was the first so-called AR radio station in the country. That's what so-called made it so popular. And Lee Abrams became one of the top consultants. But as soon as we made it, I called some of my friends in Atlanta, whatever, and referred Lee. He went down there, reprogrammed them. And he went to Chicago, reprogrammed it, went to all these cities, and became a very, very wealthy consultant. I should have formed a company and made him work for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the few things you missed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'd... And so that's how all that became. And then, you know, later we we changed a few things ourselves. Um, I decided that we still needed a good morning personality so we could get a, a, an audience that was a little bit more uh, older or whatever, and hired Pat Patterson. I do remember that. He was, was the only person over there who turned the lights on. That's right. It was pretty dark <laughs> in there, most of the other. But Pat Patterson, for younger <laughs> listeners, was already a huge legend in it this was. market from his days at Kicks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, Frank Lasseter did our news. Oh, wow. And Great voice with Frank Lasseter. 60 Minutes was a great TV show. It just started. 
So we decided we call our news 60 Seconds with Frank Lester. He did 60 Seconds of News every, on the top of the hour. And so he became real popular with that voice of his. Yes, that's right. That's and, right. Uh, that's how QDR got going. Well. So um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit because you brought it up about the TV station. The one thing that Durham Life Insurance Company never quite got over is the fact that they did not receive a TV channel back in the uh, 40s or early 50s. I can't remember. This channel 5 and 11 were given to, as you know, uh, a capital broadcasting company, which operates in house, WRAL and also over in Durham, WTVD. There were three VHF channels to be awarded each city. Channel 4 was still available. Well, all the folks over at WRAL and, uh, and Durham, TVD, and others interested did the right thing, smart thing. They convinced the FCC to award it to the University of North Carolina for one of the first educational TV stations in the country. That's how Channel 4 got it. To UNC, but that was good for RAL and TVD because they only had they didn't have any competition. News and Observer put Channel 28 on the air, and nobody knew what UHF was, and uh, uh, sort of went from there. They didn't make it. Well, anyway, during my broadcasting was felt real bad because they already built studios. They knew they would be the NBC affiliate, and uh, and just could not believe they didn't get. Award a channel. So, as we went down the road, it came up as television became stronger and stronger. And Channel 28 did go on the air. Uh, studios were near Chapel Hill. But it didn't do anything. Didn't even have any news. Just had a few programs. A lawyer from Durham owned it. And they weren't doing anything. And I approached them. And they decided, yes, they would sell. So, I convinced Durham Life Insurance Board uh, to that we could buy it. And we paid hardly anything for it. Um, and then moved the studios later on downtown and became NBC. But the way we got to become WPTF TV was Wade Hargrove and I went to the FCC, met with some commissioners and said, look, WPTF has this great name. You should let us use those call letters for our TV station because it was against the regulations at the time because you couldn't own a TV and a radio station, crazy rigs. But they let us do it because we promised we would do news because it hadn't been in the market with NBC. So we put NBC News on, Channel 28, and we put it on at 7 o'clock rather than 6.30, put our local news on at 7.30. And did the news. Had a couple of good news people, as you remember. Um, and you re and reunited with Woody Durham. That's right. At that point, too. Exactly. Well, here's what happened. Um, uh, Woody was over at WFMY Greensboro as a sports director. But he was doing, beginning to do, play-by-play -play radio the Tar Heel Sports Network, uh, and Jim Hebner. Well, TV's coming around. 
here we have a TV station. So I called Woody. I said, Woody, why don't you come over and be my sports director, and you can be uh, your your TV show every night on our newscast, but also we're going to go after some more TV sports. And sure enough, the athletic director at Chapel Hill, whose name was John Swafford, have allowed Dean Smith to have his own TV show. And they asked us to produce it. So that worked out beautifully. Woody Durham took over producing the Dean Smith TV show. I worked out negotiating Dean Smith's first TV salary. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that's how that started. Wow. There's Woody back there. And now later on, when I left, and they sold stations and everything, Woody left, of course, uh, became, again, a very, very important person in the sports world. Mr. Vendors, one other thing we wanted to touch on is, in fact, this, of course, is the 100th anniversary of WPTF, but you were here, you were presiding over the 50th anniversary of WPTF in 1974. Exactly. We had a great ceremony out of the state fairgrounds and had lots of fun. And um, it was the 50th anniversary. Uh, everybody came out there. It was amazing. WPTF was an amazing radio station. Still is. But, I mean, in those days, here we were, 50,000 watts. And we did things like uh, bluegrass uh, shows live at Memorial Auditorium just to resurrect bluegrass uh, music. Everybody was getting real interested in bluegrass music. And we hired... Uh, uh, Hap Hansen and Hap did a late show right. country music the Interstate, Interstate 68, 68. Yep. <laughs> pardon? Interstate 68 and then we decided yeah we, we've got a signal that goes all the way down to Florida and truck drivers are driving at night and they want to hear country music so WPCF played country music on Interstate 68 absolutely every night <laughs> Hap Hansen was a great man. I know Mike and I both considered him a very good friend. Yes, indeed. Yeah, he was great. That was good. And so that, that worked out real good. And the reason I said that is because, another story real quick, when I was in the Marines, I was stationed in Miami, and I was in a communications center. This is after I graduated from college, of course, before I went back into radio or TV. And I listened to... University of North Carolina win the NCAA uh, the first time. Wow. They beat Kansas. Yes. And I listened to it on our radio in the communications center. And that was WPTF. Yes, sir. And I said, and I said to my guys in the communications center, they said, uh, what are you listening to? I said, I'm listening to my alma mater win the national championship on WPTF radio. And they said, where's that? I said, Raleigh, North Carolina. They couldn't believe it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I couldn't either tell you the truth. <laughs> so I knew that we had a, a skip signal. It went all the way down into Florida. That's where we decided, well, we do Interstate 68. The truck drivers will listen to us. Yeah, that was a good move. 
once again. I wanted to ask you about uh, somebody who was a, a dear friend of ours and, and yours, and you hired him, one of the best broadcasters WPTF ever had, Mario Dell. Well, Mario Odell um, became a good friend to all of us, really. Because yes, sir. He's a great guy. Um, but Mari came on when I needed to replace uh, Wally uh, in the morning show. I, I may have missed something there, but at that time, so I needed to look around and find somebody that you know was uh, had done enough and could really, really be a personality. So I got a call and said, well, there's a fellow down in South Carolina called Mario Dell. Um, he's been in radio down there. I think he was in, in uh, Columbia, in Spartanburg maybe. And we came up, we met, and I hired him instantly. And he got on the air, and of course he became so good and so well-known uh, all those years. And I uh, was a great supporter. And I think everybody in the station loved him, so I miss him now. Absolutely. We certainly do. And we fortunately had an opportunity to record a conversation with him shortly before his death last fall. But we miss him greatly. He was a wonderful man. Yeah, we brought him up uh, to the station. He sat uh, in the studio where he had sat so many years here out at Highwood. So uh, that, that was... Uh, that was yeah, yeah. by the grace of God. So, uh, well, you know, that's, that's great that you guys did that. That you recorded that because uh, uh, he's a man not to be forgotten. You definitely right. Sure. And there's so there many, so many good people, so many good so people Gary, at that station. Gary Dornberg doing a sports show. Yeah, uh, and we had a we had we had the coaches show. Um, we had. Uh, well, let's see. I guess we had Jim Valvano's show, of course. We did. Yes, he we actually did, did it in the time. studios yes. down there for a yeah. while. And Norm Sloan's show. Yeah. And uh, Lou Holtz. Lou and Lou Holtz, yes. Um, so we, we had a lot of good stuff going on, and we still do, of course. But uh, those shows were all new to everybody, yeah. and we were all having fun. Having so fun is right. Figuring it all out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did a pretty good job of figuring it all out, Mr. Venters. Yes, you did, and you contributed so much to the history of this station, and we sure do appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. And, and, and even after uh, leaving Durham Light Broadcasting after all those years, you made history with other stations, creating uh, WRDU and Magic over in the Greensboro area, and, uh, of course, stations yeah. in Wilmington. And. Uh, well, what I did is that we bought Greenville, Spartanburg, and had one in Charlotte and Columbia, South Carolina. Then we sold the group, but I moved to, to Wilmington to be kind of with my kids and sure. grandchildren. And then my son-in-law and I bought uh, four radio stations here in Wilmington and operated them for four or five years. Uh, we sold two of them, and he went up with them. Chuck Sullivan went with them. I kept two. One was a jazz station, and one was ESPN. I put ESPN radio on here in Wilmington. Wow. 
Well, I want, uh, I, I saw an interview, and I've seen several interviews with uh, the pioneers of broadcasting, uh, the North Carolina Broadcast Le- uh, Legends Series, uh, that's in cooperation with the North Carolina Broadcast History Museum, and I know you're a big part of that, too. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm one of the trustees, and we're right now re- trying to raise money. <laughs> oh, well, I, I think there's a, probably a good group of you who can do that. It's been a great honor, yeah, Mr. Venters. It really has. We certainly do appreciate it, and we certainly appreciate the fact that you will always be, even though you've been gone for several years now, you'll always be part of the WPTF family. And you will always be Mr. Venters. Yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate all the people who we were talking about, you know, Johnny Hood, and gosh, I could go on and on and on as many things as I could think of. And then you two guys, and Mike, you know, and they're doing the news. And, uh, yeah. This is my 49th year here. Yeah. Now, you, and you won the, uh, the great thing is you you won the award of the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, Longleaf Pine Award. Right. I'm real proud of you when you won that. Yes, sir. I have been. Uh, I'm very honored to to have been a part of this place, and and hope to continue a while. They haven't gotten rid of me yet, so I guess I can survive. Well, you still sound like you're only 24 years old, <laughs> <laughs> and he looks the same as he did 50 yeah, years I, ago too. I haven't oh, changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Mr. Venters, for all those memories and and all that you've contributed to uh, North Carolina broadcasting. Well, thank you. I'm real honored that you call me and uh, appreciate what you're doing and a happy birthday to WPTF. We protect the family. Excellent way to end. Mr. Venters, uh, Godspeed, God bless you. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, if you're down around Wilmington, give me a call. I will. I'd love to see you again. Definitely. I would love to see you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye.